Hey friend, are you struggling to find consistent paid speaking gigs? Do you want to know the exact six steps that you can take to find and book more paid speaking opportunities in 2024? Well, we want to make that easy for you. We've created a new free resource with the help of Dan Irvin, one of our highly successful speakers on our team. Dan has booked over $100,000 in paid speaking gigs in the last few years, and his six-step process is going to help you maximize your chances of getting booked and paid to speak in any industry. You're going to learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, and proposal emails and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps and we're going to send you this 18-page guide straight to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps and you're going to get that free guide. Hey, thanks for listening. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, my friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. We do appreciate you being with us and hanging out with us today. And you're in for a treat today, all right? So if you are interested in speaking in the education space, speaking to high school students, speaking to middle school students, speaking to, to teachers or parents, then uh, you have come to the right place because we got a great conversation and discussion with uh, my buddy Scott Bakovich today that uh, I think you're really going to enjoy. Before we get there, I want to uh, remind you, if you haven't already, you definitely want to stop by and check out Free Speaker Workshop. This is a a free training that we offer teaching you exactly how to find and book paid speaking engagements. All right. So we don't want you to miss out on this. Again, you can go register. It's totally free. And again, you can stop by, check out freespeakerworkshop.com. Again, that is freespeakerworkshop.com. Listen, I tell you about it all the time. What are you doing? What are you waiting for? Go check it out again, freespeakerworkshop.com. All right. So once again, today, we're going to be chatting with Scott Bakovich. Scott is a speaker in the youth market, although he uh, he looks like he's 12. He's been at this for a while and he's got a lot of experience, really knows what he's talking about, and has a lot of great thoughts and wisdom to share today. We talk about uh, him, him, how he got started. We talk about him speaking in the in the youth market and the education space. How he speaks to school assemblies. How he books school assemblies. One of the things that Scott has done really well is he does a lot of school tours. So he speaks to multiple schools in an area. So he talks about how he organizes those, how he puts those together, uh, and also talks a lot about school conferences, student leadership conferences that he works with, and uh, how he books those as well. So again, if you are interested at all in speaking in the youth market, then listen, Scott is definitely a guy to pay attention to and to learn from. So make sure that you tune in, make sure you dial in and make sure that you listen in on this conversation with my buddy, Scott Bakovich. Enjoy. What's up, my friends? Grant Baldwin here. Hey, today joined by my buddy Scott Bakovich, who is uh, one of the leading youth speakers in the, in the, in the, on the world, planet, galaxy. Yeah, we'll take it. We'll take it. We'll just see yeah, how we'll roll with that. So how are you today, brother? Cool, buddy. How are you? Appreciate you hanging out with us. So we've uh, we've crossed paths uh, multiple times over the years, and uh, you do a ton of you speaking. So why don't you, for those that aren't familiar with you, give us a quick snapshot on uh, the speaking that you do, how much you're speaking, who you're speaking to, what you speak about, and uh, that overall nutshell. Yeah, I've been doing this for like 10, 11 years now, which is weird. Really? Has it been that long? Yeah, because you got to think, like it was 17 when I got started. I met you when I was probably like 19, 20, I'm going to turn 29 next week. Wow, you're an old so, man. It's sad. It's that threshold <laughs> here. But it's primarily a youth market. So lots of schools, a lot of conferences, a lot of student council work, some CTSO stuff sprinkled in. At this point, man, it's full tours. So I'm guess I know you and I were chatting about it earlier. I'm going to guess around 120 engagements this last year. Yeah. Probably give or take a few. But uh, busy, busy. Just got off the road for my fall tour a few days back. I get a few weeks off and then hit back at it on the road here in the spring. Nice. And so most of you said most of what you're doing now is school tours. So talk us through what do you mean by that? 
Yeah. So primarily in a given week, it's one of three things for me. Um, I would say probably about 70%, especially during the fall, would be student assemblies. So full school assemblies followed by likely a leadership workshop at the school or doing some teacher work with staff on campus. That would probably be 70%, probably about a good 20% of that during the fall being student leadership trainings. So a big chunk of what I do, it's probably 100% of my work in the summer, are student leadership trainings. So training student council members or student leaders on campus how to better and more effectively engage and involve students. And then a small sliver of what I do in the fall, but a bigger chunk in the spring being leadership conferences. So large stage events, anywhere from a thousand on the smaller end to 10,000 on the bigger end events, whether student service oriented events or career technical service organizations. So doing a few things like that in the mix, but it differs based on the day, but it's all youth. So all middle school, high school for me, primarily high school, middle school sprinkled in. How did you get started in this? Because I know you mentioned that you were uh, you were like four whenever you got started. So uh... yeah, yeah, it was right from the uh, right from the womb. So I started doing this very much by chance when I was fifteen. I grew up in a small farming community, in Northern California. When I was fifteen years old, my school received this free ticket, in essence, free pass to a leadership conference in the Bay Area. And so my school interviewed a few students, selected me. I ended up going, had a great time. At the end of the conference, the group asked if any students would come back the following year, all expenses paid, to be a junior counselor. So I was all about the all expenses paid part. So yeah. I went, had a great time and something in the schedule allowed for uh, basically myself and a few of the other junior counselors to get up for, I think, six, seven, eight minutes apiece and talk to the students. So we went through a rotation. We all talked. I had a great time. Students seemed to enjoy it. And from there, basically, groups started calling and seeing if I would speak. The recession started to hit. So it kind of weirdly worked out in a good way where schools wanted to book speakers, sadly couldn't afford it. And so one group would hear me lead to five others. It would lead to 10 others and 15 others. And before I knew it, I was, it was getting calls to go travel and speak. And so either my parents would drive me somewhere because I didn't even have a license yet. <laughs> or when I started getting to college, I would fly somewhere, speak and fly back, whatever was going on. So crazy weird how it worked out but i think it kind of matches up well with something i enjoyed doing that people seem to need in that moment and so now we get to call it a job did you know like at the time like that that was a thing because i think oftentimes for a lot of speakers like you we kind of maybe stumble into it or we've done a few things here and there we enjoy it it's fun but we don't really like i didn't know it was a thing like i didn't know like this i didn't see it on the menu anywhere of career options so at what point did you realize like i could actually make a career out of this yeah, so I think it was, and you're right, like I had no remote clue this was yeah. a thing. I think it was two things. One, my first like professional paid engagement was the city of San Jose. Like I remember it clear as day. The mayor's office called me up. I don't know how they got my number, uh, but called me up in my cell. I was like hanging out at a friend's house and said, hey, we're doing this youth summit or youth day. How much do you charge? And I legitimately had no idea there was a thing. And so I literally did what you see on like cheesy sitcoms, which is act like the phone's breaking out and hang up. <laughs> and I hung up on her and I freaked out. Like, what do I do? And I remember distinctly, I charged them lunch. That was what I charged them. <laughs> Maybe a hotel room, but I think it was just lunch. One of the two. But yeah, I started to realize after that, this was possibly a thing. Yeah. Like this might be something that people do. Um, and so started to do research, the internet's a magical place. And so started to figure out like there were these people that existed and started talking to them. I think you and I met probably shortly after that, but yeah. figuring out that these people existed and that there were things going on. And so, yeah, it was really a, a unique kind of interesting thing. But I think that's one of the hardest things about kind of getting started is learning that you're not alone in the process. Even if you're really niched in on what you're doing, there are people that have been around for years that have been pioneering it. You just got to find them and learn from them. So. so how did you early on, like how did you network and find other speakers who are doing something similar that to kind of just learn from? 
Yeah, there was one speaker at the event that I went to. And so I was able to connect with them, Patrick Maurer. And so he was he was a speaker at that event. And so I was able to connect with him and figure out a little bit about who he was, what he was doing, what the world looked like. And then shortly after that, I was recommended into a speaker, it was like a weekend, where every three years or so, we kind of pick a state and head out and, and meet up. And there were, I think, gosh, I'm going to guess there were probably 20 speakers there. I was, I think, 18 or 19 at the time. And uh, they did kind of a speaker showcase kind of deal mm-hmm. so that everyone could work on their own material. They intentionally slotted me second to last because they had no idea who I was. And we're like, if he bombs, <laughs> we'll slot someone good in after him. And so it ended up going really well. met a bunch of people and those people are all, all good friends to this day. So I think that was kind of the key of, of, of getting started was like just being a little vulnerable, acknowledging that you're new and saying that you need help. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, that definitely you're right that, that, finding a few people early on to realize like, okay, this is a thing. Like you're normal. Like I am like you, I mean, if you can do this, I can do this and just figuring it out from there. So it sounds like, so you, you do a couple things that kind of parlay into other things. Was there anything like marketing wise that you were doing? Or do you feel like it seems like outside looking in one of your best marketing tools over the years has just been networking with people, event planners, schools and, and principals, but also just being really, really good on stage and, and that being your, your best marketing asset. Have you found that to be the case for you? In 11 years of doing this, I have done, I think super early on, I did one mailer. It was like the shortest little mailer. It was like a single postcard, like what you're supposed to, quote unquote, we're supposed to do. I don't think I got anything from it. But no, I haven't done a single cold call email. I've never done anything like that. I, I don't have a good marketing brain. I'm not grandpa one. So I think at, at the core of it, it's just, especially the youth market, it is, as you know, 99 to 100% word of mouth and relationships. And so uh, for me, for example, if I do one engagement for a state level or national level organization and it goes really well, I know that there'll be probably at least five to six the following year. And from those will probably at least, at least hopefully four of the five will be repeat clients and then the rest will trickle down. I mean, at this point, I can pull up my calendar. I'd be willing to bet. Let's just look at the next month here. In terms of just referrals or actually we'll do repeat business for next month. One, two, three, four. Yeah, literally everything on my calendar is either referral from another engagement or word of mouth. So or or repeat business. For me, it's it's knock it out on stage and go from there. I kind of a a, a tool that I've heard a lot used and a phrase I've heard a lot from from state directors right now in the speaking market for youth is the more constant communication you receive from a youth speaker you've never heard of the more dangerous they will be to book. And that's because if they have that much time to reach out to you and at the same time, nobody has heard from them, yeah. bad sign. And I think for that, like any advice I would give to a new speaker in that regard, in my little niche would be to start in small conferences, as you know, district lead the state, which will lead to the national, which will then trickle back downwards. Yeah. Weird to think of bell curve and the way how that works. Okay. It's true. Uh, that's the way of thinking of it. So, yeah. Do you find that, that it seems like speaking is very much a momentum game that early on you're just doing everything you possibly can to build some momentum, to get your name out there, to get in front of those state or regional or national decision makers. But then over time, like you build the relationships, it becomes a lot of referral, it becomes a lot of word of mouth. It becomes, I'm sure as you've had, you know, some students saw you five years ago and now they're a part of some committee or some group that's looking to hire or they're in some administration. And it just, it's, you, you build this massive momentum, but early on, it's really, really hard to get that going. So do you find that to be the case and anything that you did or would do again to overcome some of that initial momentum building? 
Yeah, I think momentum is you hit around that. I mean, in, in our in this little world and in, in the youth market, it's momentum driven to a huge extent. Mm-hmm. I it's it, I mean, the way I heard it described and it was early on remains very true. It's kind of flavor of the month. Yeah, yeah. Where if you know those who are very new and there's this new message or this new style that people haven't heard or haven't seen in a while, they're all about it. They want to book it. You start seeing it at you know regional, then local, or local and regional, state, then national. But I think more than that, I think getting to that point, while it is difficult in the grand scheme of things, it's being fairly easy. I think maintaining that is really, really, really difficult. I mean, uh, you and I could probably have a spitfire session that would be terrible for a podcast, but would mention just speakers that have come through this market in the last 10 years that we haven't heard from in five or six years. Right where, you know, they were there and they had this amazing message. And then I like, there would be names from the past at this point right. where the momentum wasn't maintained or they didn't change their message or they didn't create anything new for students. And so I think creating an hour that, you know, that first hour or that first keynote or assembly that's going to be amazing for students is really difficult. Once it's there though, the attention will naturally come. If you're good, right. the word of mouth will spread, it'll spread quickly. And I think the next step is coming up with new content and constantly creating so that that expands yeah i mean like i said it's weird for me to think that this is year like 11 or so yeah i'm tangling like that's weird to think about but luckily i'm a nerd when it comes to to creation so i I think that's been where luckily my energy's been spent uh, as opposed to marketing or something like that so one thing that i'd like to dig into more is for those that are interested in speaking specifically to the youth market or speaking with schools and conferences so you kind of mentioned let's let's talk about both of them let's start by talking about schools because that's definitely where there's a lot of schools middle schools high schools even elementaries even if you wanted to go into college there's a bit of a different market and different beast but for someone who's interested in speaking let's say in, in middle schools or high schools there's a lot of schools and it's a huge mix of some have funding some don't who the decision maker is varies from school to school and some it's a it's a principal for some it's a counselor for some it's a district level activities director so what are your thoughts overall on just people that want to get into the youth market speaking specifically to schools where do we even begin yeah so i made a decision when i was i think it was 19 at the time 18 19 when things started really to start to kind of pick up with regards to to bookings you know specifically schools and i faced that question of like how do i make this something that's a something i enjoy and something i feel like i'm good at and bringing value to something that's sustainable. And so um, what I ended up doing is I made a deal with myself that I would try as best I could to book an entire, in essence, tour, a season worth of speaking, whether fall or spring, without having a single piece of information available online for you to look at. So we're talking like I would monitor online and make sure students weren't posting YouTube videos of me speaking. I would make sure that there were no summaries of my speeches online. I would make sure I, didn't, I literally didn't have a website. I didn't have like nothing. You couldn't even research and find my email address online. I wanted to make sure I was good enough to where people were so excited about what they saw that they were willing to talk about it to others. Yeah. And once I booked a full calendar on that, I knew it was good enough to go ahead and create a marketing piece. But to back up a half step in terms of getting those first few schools who were willing to talk about it, one thing I recommend always is, is to, to really master the slow build. One of the things that, that you know from, from doing this, it's really hard, even when you get really established, to be a rock star in your own backyard. Yeah, it's really difficult unless you have some really solid relationships with the people in your state, really hard to, to be a rock star in your own backyard. And so I always recommend contacting five to six schools in your local community and giving yourself a three month test run. And those three months, six schools, two per month, separate them out, bookend each month where you're going to go ahead, you're going to offer to do a free presentation, let them know you're doing kind of a home appreciation tour. 
that you speak regularly, but you're going to go ahead. And if you've never spoken, I'm not even going to recommend speak to the whole school. It would be just the leadership class because they've seen speakers before. If not, they're willing to give you the whole school, have at it, do the entire school. As trade-off, you're doing a free presentation, they'll do two things for you. One, they'll allow you to have someone come in and film it so you can watch how you do later. And then two, they'll send out a survey to every student on campus. That way you get honest feedback for what you could do better. For the general student population, it's just a simple like Likert scale survey of how you did. For student leaders, we're more open, honest, and thoughtful, um, an open-ended survey where they'll be able to write responses. And so I think if you're able to do that, start emailing those individuals at schools. For middle school, it's always good to start with the principal. At a high school level at this point, it's always nice to start with the activities advisor. And to reach out to those local schools, again, three months, two schools a month. And then in the interim, it's a lot of practice. The single biggest thing I did early on, and it's, I think about it now later on, how crazy it was. But it was so helpful as I was a kid doing this. And so my dad was a teacher at the high school I went to. So he had access into a classroom on campus that would be empty at nights. So I'd take his keys every night. I'd go into the classroom. I'd put a voice recorder down. And I called it like my workout for the day. I would, for an hour and a half, repeat out loud the things I wanted to say, record them, listen to them, hear how I like saying it, what the cadence looked like, um, what the content sounded like how I thought it would filter through the mind of a skeptical 17 year old and repeat. And it would do that every single day. Yeah. Um, and so I think those are, uh, you know, it was a long winded answer, but I think those are the best ways to kind of get started and really master that slow build process. No, I think there's a lot of truth to that in terms of speaking to high school students, especially, especially in a high school setting is a very, very, very difficult audience. And so it is very much like being thrown to the wolves. And, you know, as, as we can both attest, there are some that go really, really well and some that don't. And there's, I always jokingly say like, there's a difference between students that want to be there and students that have to be there. And in a school, they're glad you got them out of class. And that's about the extent of it. So you have to spend a lot of time earning that trust and getting them on their side and building that rapport and that connection. And a lot of that just comes from time. It just becomes, it comes from reps. So I'm curious, like, especially early on, let's say you're reaching out to those local schools, but the reality is you don't have a ton of experience other than, let's say, just speaking, you said talking to yourself and kind of pacing around the house or pacing around a classroom, just going over your talk and over and over and over, which is good, but it's hard to compete with that being in front of that live audience. So how did you find that early on of, like, I'm just interested in this. I want to do this, but everybody starts at zero. So how do you get better without having the experience to build off of? You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that, and especially in the youth market, I think we have one untapped resource that I think a lot of corporate groups, excuse me, likely don't, which is we have, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, I can think of at least six off the top of my head. We have at least a few groups and they're national groups that are in every community in the entire country that literally run off of no money. Um, these are groups that plan youth meetings all the time that are literally begging for anyone to come out. I mean, yeah. you, oh, sorry about this. you knew it when you, you know, when you were, were busy touring the same way I am, where there are always groups that in essence want speakers to be for free. Hey, we're this low budget group and so-and-so will you come speak to us or Hey, we run this meeting twice a month. Will you come speak to us? And so there are a few key groups that I recommend people reach out to because you don't need an experience and the speakers they bring in typically don't have any to begin with. Yeah. So they just stoke your reaching the out. The bar's really low. Yeah. Uh, Kiwanis Club, always a good one. Rotary International, Lions Club, American Legion's a big one. Those are kind of the top four that I would recommend getting started with. Contact your local chapter, see what they're doing. They're going to have a youth event coming up, whether it's a youth banquet, a youth award ceremony, or a summer conference or a winter conference for Rotary. 
And so they'll have events that you can go speak to. That would be kind of level one because they're not going to look for any experience. They're just having someone's come to volunteer their time to speak to youth. And the good news about that audience is I would guess, and it's been a while since I've done any of those events, but I would guess at least 25 to 30% of the students who attend those events are also students who are involved in student leadership conferences that do book. And so if they love you, they're going to go back. That's number one. I would say level two. And I would even say this is, I would say level two is probably those schools. We mentioned those local schools. And then level three, I would say, is something like a Hobie conference. Mm-hmm. The O'Brien Youth Leadership Seminars, where these are groups that hold conferences that house probably anywhere from 60 to 80 schools per conference. They're all around the country. And again, they can't pay for a speaker. And so you go ahead, volunteer your time at one of those, offer to stay for the whole weekend, MC the whole event, and do a keynote as well. That means you'll create genuine friendships with the staff members and the students who get to know you as well. We'll then go back and start speaking for you. I mean, it's been 11 years doing this. and I still speak at two of those events every year so that I can A, practice new material and B, so that uh, I maintain relationships with those schools. So if I'm going to be devil's advocate and going, okay, everything that you've mentioned here seems like a lot of free gigs. Well, I want to make a living from this. I'd like to eat and live indoors. So how, I know it's so overrated. So how do you make that transition then from I'm doing a lot of these free things or like feeling like I don't even want to do all these free things. I just want to get paid. Like, what do you say to that speaker? Yeah, I think in, and this is like a weird, like almost like harsh thing. I think in the youth market, the bar, as you know, because you were a part of this is very high right now. I don't think it used to be. I think like, I remember when I first got into this pre-recession, like it wasn't, there were a ton of speakers, right? Yeah. A ton. And everyone was getting paid. When the recession hit, groups would have to save up money. When groups saved up money, they wanted a select group of speakers. Therefore, that group whittled down dramatically. Yeah. I'd say it's even gotten worse now where it's a crazy small group of people who are getting booked and getting booked consistently. And so with that in mind, I think anyone who is kind of, trying to say right away, hey, I want to do this. I want to get paid. That's the goal. I want to start by getting paid. I think you're going to have a real rough go, particularly in the youth market. Um, And I say that for those who value longevity, because I do. I think if you want to do this, it's not because you want to do it for two years. I think it's because you want to do it as something you're passionate about for an extended period of time. So I would say if you're going to give yourself that slow build process, cap yourself off at a certain amount. Like I say, I give myself three months. If I'm new right now, I'm going to give myself two to three months. Because that's, and then once that time has ended, you need to be very firm that that was like, I I called it a home appreciation tour where that is your deal. I mean, I still have it to this day. I mentioned, I speak at two of those groups for free. I say, I have my two donated presentations per year Yeah, and it's two, it is capped at two always. That's what it is. And they're the same two groups every year because I love those two organizations. I mean, when I help plan everything they, they do programming wise, but I think when you, like I said, once you've done a series of free engagements, you cap it at that and then you're firm on that. I mean, you are a paid speaker at this point. You are a professional at this point. Once one of those presentations goes really well and you feel you have a confident hour or confident whatever it is you're doing, confident training, workshop, what have you, at that point, everything you do becomes paid. But like I said, I would be very, very hesitant early on to charge a a large fee. Granted, if you're going to travel somewhere, yeah, have them pay for your travel. That's reasonable within any group. If it's a group where you have to spend the night, even if it's a nonprofit, they're paying for a hotel because that's just a general courtesy. Put a roof over your head for the night. Right. But I would recommend any group, I guess, or any human being wants to start this, do your, if you're brand new, do what you need to, to get that fresh start and get practice and get valuable feedback. That way you have credibility going into a school. But once that time ends, be firm in the fact that you are a professional speaker and make sure you get paid what you're worth. What do you find are the common topics in the youth market that are typically hired for? 
it is a little fad based in the youth market. Hot button issues are pretty prevalent. Yeah. For example, three years ago, four years ago, everyone wanted to be an anti-bullying speaker. Yep. Yeah. Everyone wanted to go in and talk about the ways to prevent bullying. I think two years ago it was cyberbullying. We we got advanced. So how do you keep people safe online? How do we and it's still an issue today and there are still a few groups that do it really well, but that became the hot button thing. Now, last two years, school culture is the hot button topic. Everyone wants to talk about inclusive campuses and, and, and nice, kind campuses. And so I, I think that the few overarching topics that I think are never going to go away, all three of those have one thing in common, which is kindness. And I think that's the one thing that's been in common with every assembly presentation that's ever been done yeah. is, is teaching students with resources available methods to just be kind to one another. Right. Um, especially in kind of the, the, the climate we're in now as a society, everyone needs kindness. Um, it's far easier to, to be critical than to be kind. And so I think that's kind of the main one. And we go off to kind of the leadership conference world. Uh, things change. Every group's got their own theme that they're working with. Service is never going anywhere on that level. But I think those two kind of things, I think kindness on the school level, and I think that service on a large-scale leadership level are two topics that are really vital, have been around forever, and I don't think you're going anywhere anytime soon. How do you find the balance between picking a, a topic that you want to speak about, that you're passionate about, that is broad enough for a school to be interested in? Because there's, there's some speakers that I talk to that say, hey, uh, there's kind of this niche thing that I want to talk about for schools. And the reality is, like, if you're going to be hired by a school, and especially if you're going to be paid, they're typically not going to pay you to come and talk to one individual class. Now, if you, like you mentioned, sometimes you're speaking to a leadership class, and typically that's under the umbrella of, they hired me to come speak to the whole, whole school. While I'm there, I'm going to do this other thing. So how important is it having a topic that is applicable to the entire school? Yeah. So what I do personally is I schedule at least one phone call. Sometimes it's two with every single school that I speak to figuring out what's going on on campus right now. What are they dealing with? What themes are they working with for the school year? What do they want to accomplish throughout their year? Are there any issues that have come up uh, within the past year or so that I need to address within the presentation? And so I think it's really hard nowadays to be canned within a school really difficult. Middle school, you could probably get away with. Yeah. Middle school, probably. High school, by no means. High schoolers will sniff that out, smell that out really quickly. Right. And so will their teachers. I'm biased in saying this, but I think high school assembly, where they're forced to be there, like you said, probably still the hardest audience in, in, in the world. <laughs> yes. I dig it, but I think it still might be the hardest group to speak to. But I think it's really hard to be canned for a high school audience. Really difficult. Middle school, you can get away with. But I think you've got to come up with, especially in the assembly world, you've got to come up with at least five or six things that you do really well, yeah. that you know you can speak to really well. I mean, obviously, if you can work, we mentioned the kindness aspect. If you can speak on kindness, you're going to be able to do a handful of assemblies on that, which is great. But if you can't speak, for example, in high school to discrimination, or you can't speak to initiative, or if you can't speak to you know, the bullying, cyberbullying, things like that, then you're going to have a really hard time. So I think it's really finding a few things that you're niched into, things that every student can say that they've identified with at one time or another. And so within that, create something broad. Because as you mentioned, high schools are, are a different beast in and of themselves. Very much so. You touched on this a little bit earlier that in terms of the decision maker, you mentioned in middle school is typically principal, high school is oftentimes an activities director, depending on activity directors are extremely common out West, not as common in other parts of the country. So I'm curious, like what you find as if I wanted to get into a school, like who do I need to be talking to? Yeah, I think you hit on that regional. It is very regional. If you are on the West Coast, if you are in California, Oregon, Washington, Nevada, or Arizona, you're going to reach out to the activities advisor. 
that is going to be your point person. If you need to do a Google search, it's going to be the ASB advisor. So yeah. the only place to call it such. Nevada, you'll get half and half ASB or student council. Everywhere else, it really does get mixed. Yeah. I found in the Midwest, it's going to be a lot of principals. East Coast, depending on the state, you're going to find some activities advisors. Pennsylvania and Jersey, yeah, you'll find advisors. New York, mixed bag. Florida, mixed bag. It really depends. In the South is a toss-up, as you know. The yeah. South, you can get anything. You can get principal. You can get advisor. You can get community director. Right. And then, for teachers, example, sometimes teachers, sometimes school counselors even. Sometimes in the middle, you get school counselors. And then there are even some states, a few, but there are some states where there's literally one or two people in the entire state who deal with the booking process. Like Hawaii has one person. And there's one human being that deals with 90% of any assemblies that go on in the entire state. And so it is a mixed bag. Do your research is the best piece of advice I can give you. Like I said, it is a little regional. On the coast, you're going to find advisors. In the Midwest, you're going to have a little bit of a mixed bag. Principal is the easier bet there. Principal advisor combo, something like that. But it's difficult. Like that's one of the few, I guess, puzzles within this world that's really tricky to solve. Yeah, for sure. I'm curious too. One of the things that you you mentioned that you have done really, really well is these school tours. I know for me when I was when I was doing a lot of school assemblies, it tended to be more one off stuff. I'd, I'd go somewhere, do one school assembly, and that's basically it. Maybe the high school and the middle school, and that that was the extent of the tour. Whereas for you, it seems like you're going somewhere for a week or, or maybe a couple of weeks sometimes and hitting a bunch of schools. So how do those come together? How do you organize those? How do you structure those? How does that happen? Yeah, there are two modes of thoughts when it comes to kind of planning the school tours. One is the, I guess you would call it a collaborative booking model, Mm -hmm. where what you're going to go ahead and do if you're at a regional or state conference. So this fall, for example, I did two and a half weeks, I think it was, straight just in Las Vegas. Um, It was pretty much every high school you could find in Las Vegas. And basically how that came to be is I did three or four Regional conferences for our good friend, Sandy Ginger mm-hmm. in Nevada. And after those events were done, I went ahead and did a leadership workshop for the advisors in the room, talked about the fact that I was going to be in Nevada in August. And that if all the groups decided, the more groups decided to book together, the larger naturally a discount would be for all those who are booking. And so in that mode, I gave them all my information. I got the contact list from Sandy, sent them some materials, not a marketing email, just the materials from the session, which in a way is a form of marketing because they're going to have my email address, which is all I need for them to have. And uh, they went ahead, a bunch of them would email me back and say, hey, we'd love to do this. I said, great, if you get three more or two more involved, it'll be a price cut. And so they, in essence, do the work for you. They'll start lining up schools. Uh, Most of those days, we're doing trainings for those in the fall. So I do one group from 8 a.m. to 2 p.m., one group from 3 p.m. to 9 p.m. on trainings for those. And it'd be two a day for however many days. Uh, Long days, but really fun. So that's one mode. The other is if you do get a single booking in an area and it's somewhere in my mode of thought for this, I don't do this, but if I did, it would be if it were a group that were a ways away from me. So if I have a group in Iowa and I have nothing else around it, I would go ahead. The other mode of thought is to send out emails to all the schools in the area mm-hmm. um, within, say, a 30-mile radius saying, hey, my name's so-and-so. Here's my information. I'm going to be at this school at this time. And because I'm in the area, it's an opportunity if you've ever wanted to bring in a speaker to do a sort of discounted rate. So please feel free to check out my information, shoot me a call and email. Uh, that would be kind of the second way of doing it. I very much subscribe to the first. I've been very, very blessed and fortunate in this the last 10 years and to the point where Luckily, these things, groups kind of tend to, they're all friends with each other. It's a very word of mouth. So they start collaborating ahead of time. 
I had a group last week in Washington right before tour ended that I was doing a leadership conference for seven schools and four of the seven sent me an email, got my information, sent me an email the next day. And we're like, hey, four of us want to do a, a training again. And so do you want to send us a few dates for, for August? Yeah. And so I think that that's been my mode of doing it. But I think for someone new, I think that calling or emailing schools around isn't a bad idea at all. So whenever you are, are especially like in that first part where you're kind of working on a collaborative, where they're oftentimes working together, it seems like the, the times that I've done this, it seems like it's really, really important to kind of have one lead school or one kind of kingpin who has the, like if they've bought in and they're going, we are booking Scott and anyone else that wants to come along on the journey, come along. Because it's almost like no one necessarily wants to be the first one to take the leap. But once someone commits, it's a lot easier to get the others to, to commit. Have you found that to be the case? Completely. I recommend, kind of like I did in the email, I rely typically on the lead school heavily. I've had weeks, I mean, we did a two-week thing in Washington just recently where I've relied on one person. They really wanted to have me in. They knew that the more schools they were able to get, the more of a discount they were able to get. And it would potentially even be uh, really, really cost-effective for them to bring me in if they had all these other schools who also wanted to. And so I rely heavily on them. The one thing to always remember within the youth market is that while we might not know everyone, they do. They know every single, if there's an advisor who books speakers, believe me, they know every single other advisor within a 30 mile radius that books speakers. Yeah. They talk, they collaborate, they do these things often. This is not their first rodeo by any stretch of the imagination. And so relying on them is really easy because they're going to be able to communicate a little bit easier with those people. They're going to know their schedules a little bit easier because likely the districts have the same bell schedule. Uh, and it makes your life a little bit easier because instead of constantly emailing back and forth and collaborating, like I said, I'm going to get one email from my Washington client probably within the next week that'll say, hey, we have this many schools. Here are the dates we want. Yeah. And I just send out the paperwork and life becomes a little easier that way. Yeah, for sure. Let's sh- uh, shift gears for a second here in our last few minutes is I want to talk about conferences. It's something you, you've kind of touched on. You and I have both done a lot of speaking in the conference space in the youth world. So what are for someone who's not familiar, what are the different options in conference world for the youth market? I would say for the youth market, there are two distinctly different groups. One is going to be your student council groups. It really is, I will say, as you you know, they like, student councils are wonderful. It's home for me. And so they are the most wonderful group of human beings I know. And so I think within that, they have a very set group of presenters that they love and they trust who have embedded through system after system. And so I don't know if marketing to those groups is the smartest move anyone could do. I think mastering a slow build and having them find out about you is a really good way to go about it because like i said they they truly value content and amazing people but on the flip side they are a group where if you do really well at a large event you're going to get booked a ton yeah uh, just a ton because that state conference is going to lead to about four at least four regional conferences which is going to lead to virtually every school that books speakers in the state yeah. so that is if you're looking to be in the school market that's a holy grail of sorts The other world is something that I think is far easier to market into, and that's the CTSO world or career technical service organizations, groups like FFA, FCCLA, uh, HOSA, SkillsUSA, et cetera, et cetera. These are any state or federally funded groups that in essence have career technical education. So uh, whether it's farming for uh, FFA or 4-H or whether it's, you know, skills-based like SkillsUSA or whether it's home ec like SCCLA tends to be. They all have different niches kind of that they choose to 
educate students on. And every single year, they're going to have some do regional, but mostly state and national conferences where they're going to come in. Your keynote presentation is going to be a little bit shorter. They usually ask for about 30 minutes at the most. You're going to go in and present on. Um, the cool thing about these events is they are usually large stage events. Yeah. Uh, you're going to get anywhere from a thousand would be a small one. Yep. You're going to get upwards to the biggest one is 18,000, I think, FFA does for the rotations at National. So they're large-scale events. They're a blast. They're a ton of fun. And I don't think, I mean, for me at least, I don't think they take as much to get into. They're not as relational-based. They are very down to look at an email. They're very game to look at some mailers, some marketer, some marketing that you do. The more creative you get with them, the better. And I think that's kind of the secondary group. I don't do a ton anymore of CTSO work. I used to, but now it's far easier. I, my goal always is, is my family and my sanity. And so hard to book group bookings when you have a CTSO conference going on at a 7 o'clock engagement somewhere in the world. So a 7 p.m. engagement. So I probably do only a handful of those each year. I just did national FBLA a few weeks ago, and they were great. But only a handful of those a year for me. But on the bright side, like I said, they're two very different beasts. But luckily, one leads to a ton of extra work and one is good for starting work. Yeah. Well, and uh, CTSOs is really where I got a lot of my start early on. And you're right that they can be a little bit easier. And oftentimes, one of the great things about those conferences is they are represented by oftentimes a lot of the schools within that particular state or area. So if you go to one school, you are speaking to that one school. Now, again, like you mentioned, it may lead to other things. But if you go speak to a state conference, there may be 50, 75, 100 schools that are represented. And oftentimes the students or the teachers that are in the room are extremely influential in their individual schools. So oftentimes that is a great marketing tool for you to show up, do a great job. And those students or teachers are oftentimes looking for speakers that can they can bring back to their own students of that was awesome. We need the rest of our school to see this. Can you come do the same thing? It's like we talked about, it is word of mouth, this whole little world. And like I said, that's why momentum is, I think, one of the single biggest parts of this entire market is once one hears you, everyone, they're going to want everyone to hear you. Yeah. And once everyone hears you, they're going to want everyone in their area to hear you. We're just going to lead you a school tour. And then, hey, you know what? You were so good that we're looking to plan this conference. We're the host school this year. And we trust you, therefore, they're going to bring you in and the cycle starts over again. Right. That is the amazing part of this kind of youth world is it's so relational. And throughout that process, you meet so many people that you become incredibly close friends with. Like yeah. I said, when I look at the next month on the road, I get to hang out with a lot of my friends. Yeah. Um, I might see a lot of people I know for multi-day events, and that's going to make travel really fun. Right. So I think that that's kind of... Like I said, this world particularly, this market is very cyclical in the way that it works. And I think it makes it a lot of fun. Yeah, for sure. Scott, thanks for the time, man. We appreciate you uh, spending some, a few minutes with us to share your insight and wisdom. People want to find out more about you, what you're up to, uh, where can we go? I uh, can go to my website, scottbagovich.com and can shoot me an email there. I try to respond to all emails within 24 hours and I'm always willing to, uh, to can really answer any questions I can. Like I said, I started crazy young and uh, I got tons of help along the way from you and from many others. So uh, anything I can help people with, I'm more than happy to, but I appreciate you having me on. It's fun. I haven't seen you in a while. I've missed you. I've missed you. I know. One of the, you know, one of the fun things, just kind of piggyback on that to wrap up, that is interesting in not just the youth market with speakers, but I think with a lot of speakers in any industry is that technically we're all competition, 
But at the end of the day, we're all, it's easy to build relationships and friendships. And one of the things that's oftentimes the case with, with conferences, especially is, is if you show up and do a great job, they may not have you back for a few years. They want the audience to turn over a little bit. They want some other speakers in there. So, you know, one of the, the best ways to get business is by connecting with other speakers in the industry. So you, you have people you can refer to on a regular basis, you know, and I know that there's speakers I regularly refer to. I'm sure you do too. Hey, I'm unavailable that date, or I don't want to fly to the East coast or whatever. So, Hey, talk to this person. This person would be great. Or this person's here local for you. And this person's, you know, this would work with your budget and just having that network of peers and colleagues makes a big difference. Yeah. I was just on a little turnaround in uh, Wisconsin with uh, Kyle was there last year. Yeah. Our mutual friend is a great speaker. Was there last year. Um, I was there this year and I'm sure one of our mutual friends will be there next year. Yeah, for sure. Makes it fun. I haven't seen your face in a while. So this is good. Come see me. All right, dude. Thanks for the time. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Scott Bakovich. I'd encourage you to check out his work over at scottbakovich.com, B-A-C-K-O-B-I-C-H.com. Just a great dude, amazing speaker on stage, even better guy off stage. So I uh, really do appreciate him taking some time to uh, share that with us today. All right, my friends, that wraps up today's episode. We will catch you next time. You're awesome. You're awesome.